Good evening. It's fun to be with you on a Thursday night and evening. I know you're here at the end of a long and busy day, undoubtedly at work or running errands, and so I wanted to say thank you for coming, being a part of this, and enriching our community with your presence, hopefully deepening your understanding of our Christian faith and our Christian DNA tonight. It's Monday Thursday. Every Monday Thursday, we do things just a bit differently around here, including a chance to preach in a little bit different of a style. So we want to keep you on your toes. We want to make sure that, well, we don't get stuck in a rut either. And so while tonight's sermon is very much part of the DNA series, it will have a different look and a different feel to it. Frankly, it's dripping with biblical references, theological statements, radical assertions, and hopefully that won't put you to sleep. We started this series with our banner statement, Christianity begins with? You're absolutely right. And therefore, so does our understanding of our sacraments, these gifts that God gives to us. The sacra what? Sacraments. If you're not familiar with what a sacrament is, I'm talking about snack time every Sunday where we take shots of wine, or the odd ritual where we pour water on babies and adults' heads. Most of us, we see them, we seem to know what they are through Hollywood, through our church Sunday experience, but really, truly, what are they? And why are they so important? Why are they part of the fabric of our DNA, specifically here at Christ Church? Why do we value them and repeat them and embrace them and lean into them the way in which we do? To understand the sacraments, I cannot simply pull a pithy comment from Jesus out of the biblical narrative, slap it on the screen, and call it done. Though I do have a slide for you tonight. Yeah. Told you it'd be a little different. I can, however, answer the question why we do them in a pithy quote. Simply put, because Jesus said to. Go therefore and baptize. Thus we baptize. He said, do this. So we do this. That is communion. When Jesus commands his disciples, his people, us, you, To do something, we do it. And in this case, he explicitly gives two direct orders, uh, commands, mandatums, mandates in this situation, two direct orders in the biblical accounts, specifically to baptize and to commune. And around here, we take what Jesus said quite seriously. So, why? Because he said to. If you find that odd and wish to start a campaign to remove them, take it up with Jesus, not me. Send your email to him. But to answer the question of what a sacrament is, ah, now that, I'm afraid, is a bit more complicated. In fact, it is far more complicated. We're going to work some muscles that you didn't know you had, theological muscles tonight. So prepare yourselves. I hope you ate your Wheaties. To look only at incidents where these sacraments show up in the Bible or are directly described shortchanges both their significance and their place in the biblical narrative. 
to rightly understand and engage with these sacraments, we actually have to do an exposition, exposition of the entire biblical narrative, stretching all the way back to the beginning to the nature of our very need for Christ himself. So, buckle in. Genesis 1. Here we go. It begins in a garden where the vocation and the identity of humanity is replaced. The identity and vocation of humanity is replaced for a pseudo-humanity, a fallen humanity is sometimes what we name it. There is fake news and there is fake humanity. Yes, I hate to break it to you, but you are not human. Or rather, most of the time, you are not human. For to be human is to be identified as God intended, as God created. Apart from the evil and the brokenness that so easily entangles our lives. A human is a creature living in harmony with God and others, living vocationally into his or her calling as a steward of the earth, the world, and the relationships therein. A human depends fully on God, knows God as God, and worships him as such. Thus, your very identity, or your humanity, has been taken from you. Perhaps a better way to say it actually would be that you have forfeited. You have forfeited your humanity as you pursue a new identity independent from God and fractured with others. A new vocation apart from what God has asked in which you function as God of your own little world. You and I have forfeited our image of the likeness of God in pursuit of creating God in our own likeness, whereby God serves us and we are God's God. To use a more understandable illustration, I will echo Jesus' story of the wayward son or daughter who squandered the gifts and the talents that God had entrusted to them, given them on wild and selfish living, until you end up alone, empty, and hungry. You have tried to forge your own identity on your own terms, and it has led you to a trough full of pig slop. And while looking at that pig slop, that is now your life, you think to yourself, huh, well, that's a rough go of it. Perhaps I should do something different. Perhaps I could return to God. I could serve God as a slave or something. And while, although I would not be loved, at least I might not be hated for my wild and rampant behaviors of the past. For the way in which I have forsaken my own humanity, God gave me. And so we come crawling back to God, hoping to be his slave. Ah, but now we're not out of it yet. 
we try to forge another identity, not reeking of sex and violence, but of piety. Oh, merit. Karma, all right? Karma as we try to bring back into balance God's love for us with the good things we do. Here, God, love me because of these wonderful things that I do for you and others. And so we throw ourselves into holy living. We end up boycotting Game of Thrones. We stop singing Taylor Swift, and we attend Bible studies Monday through Friday. Can I get an amen? Yeah, all y'all nervous to say amen to that. (laughs) Striving to echo a piece of our true humanity we discover in the end that our human identity, it is not something that we can reconstruct or restore unto ourselves. It is something that cannot come from within. No divine spark here. No good spirit. I just got to fan the flame a little bit more and a little bit brighter. No, no, no. I'm afraid when you look at me, you have a broken person stumbling along looking to fix him or herself. And frankly, we're just not making much progress as a whole, are we? Oh, sure, technology seems to progress. But does humanity? No. I'll call it for what it is. No. No amount of nasal gazing will accomplish resurrecting our true humanity. Life and identity must come from where it originated in the heart and in the design of God himself. We're getting to sacraments. I promise, hang in there. Are you still awake? The heart and the design of God is now made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. This Jesus shows up in our broken, messy, disgusting world. He enters the muck, the mire, the dirt, the grease of our lives. And Jesus, with his calloused hands, does the seemingly unthinkable, the impossible, The unexpected. He simply forgives. He runs around this world making a mess of our mess. Telling people they're loved. Telling people they're forgiven. Promising that he'll bring them back from the dead. Who is this guy? I mean, he promises that you can have his perfect identity as he actually takes unto himself your ugly identity. He restores to you humanity by giving you his humanity. You are, as the Apostle Paul would say, clothed in the person of Jesus Christ. And Christ accomplishes this by virtue of his words. 
He says, be forgiven, and you're actually forgiven. He says, be healed, and people actually get healed. He says, follow me. And now, you're stuck. You're one of his disciples, and you're following him. Trying not to lose sight of those dusty sandals as he ambles off to find the lonely person next in line. And as we said in the beginning, when Jesus says something, be forgiven, be healed, be my follower and my disciple, we take Jesus' words seriously. For in the beginning he said, let there be light, and there was in fact light. He said, it is good. And therefore, it was good. So now he says, you are mine, and thus you belong to him. Just as with Abraham. Poor shepherd Abraham is hanging out, minding his own business. God shows up, makes wild and outlandish promises, and Abraham believes what God says. And in believing, his humanity is restored. So, now we believe what Christ has said. We are restored in our human identity, restored into right relationship with God, restored into right relationship with the people who sit with us, around us, and are part of our lives. When we believe Jesus' words of grace and forgiveness are for each one of us, we embrace the humanity that Christ has given us. We conform ourselves to his likeness. We imitate him thereafter as one of God's adopted sons and daughters, all according to God's good pleasure, as Paul would say. This is why we call God Abba, Father according to Christ because we believe that we are children of God. And thus, we have the sacraments. I know, finally. A sacrament has to do with your identity. Or rather, it cements your new life and identity in Christ and your adoption into the family of God. It spiritually grafts you into God's redemptive story. Baptism. Baptism is your formal adoption into the family of God, whereby Christ is now your brother, the church is your sister, God is your father. Something straight out of our Jewish roots. There's a viral video on YouTube where a foster child unwraps his Christmas gift. He's been living with a family for years by now. He is part of their family. But does he know that? Does he doubt that? Does he have what he needs to know the reality of his inclusion within this family? Does he heed the accuser that tries to challenge his inclusion and lead him to a totally different direction? By the way, the word accuser in the Bible is translated as Satan. 
The parents surely wish to guard against such misguided thoughts and accusations. And thus, the child unwraps his gift to find a certificate of adoption. The formal deed. Oh, now he knows. He knows without a shadow of a doubt. He is tangibly holding it in his hands. He bursts into tears as the significance of the reality sinks in. He is loved. He is accepted by his mother and his father, his brothers and his sisters. He is part of this family. See? And his adoption certificate is bathed in his watery tears. That's baptism. You are given the watery, formal notice that yes, you belong to God. You are loved, you are cherished. You are included in God's family. You are adopted as his child. Now you are defined by the values and the priorities and the habits of that family, mind you. The culture of that family begins to take root in you. I sometimes remind my daughters, I tell them, you are a sir and you belong to me. I find this especially helpful when they misbehave. It's all I need to say to remind them of who they are as part of our family. Because a sir does not lie, does not take toys from the other kids, does not push other children down at the playground. That's not who and what a sir is. A sir is gracious. A sir is kind and generous and soft-hearted and so forth. And so I gently and consistently remind them that they belong to the sir family, and that's their identity. Yeah, pastor, can you lose that family identity, this baptismal adoption, you ask? Well, a child can run away, can't they? Leave their home, forsake their upbringing, deny or ignore their parents' existence. I mean, a child can even take a new name. Simply put, a child can take a new identity, leave behind the old life of, of who they were and their upbringing, and become defined by a new set of relationships, a new family where the father is called lies, a mother is called idolatry, a sister is named jealousy, and the brother goes by the name of murder. In this case, you no longer trust what God says, but what the accuser has said. But can you also reclaim that baptismal identity? Can you be welcomed home? After being gone so long, would your old family accept you, forgive you, embrace you as they once did? Yes! Prodigal child, welcome home! Yes, son! Yes, daughter! Yes! The family rejoices at your homecoming. Your identity is restored to you. Kill the fatted calf, throw a robe on the shoulders, place a ring on the finger. It's party time around here. You are home. 
Let the hallelujah chorus ring out. Let the celebration begin. The identity that was given in your baptism so long ago is effective here and now, even should you be hard-headed and stubborn for years in between. For what was lost is now found. What was abandoned is now reclaimed. And so we rejoice. Welcome home. Ah, but some of you were raised in the church. You only knew the church. You grew up singing the church songs. You were baptized as babies, brought up in the faith, and never knew a day where your identity as part of God's family was up for debate. If that's you, hallelujah, thank God for that blessing. You have no fancy conversion story or drastic moment of repentance. Dear brother, dear sister, if that is you, do not be jealous of your younger brother's story and the significant turning moment of how he returned home because he bears the scars of sowing his wild oats. You, you, you have been faithful all this time. All that the Father has is yours, so come join the feast, for you belong here too. Don't be angry. Don't be judgmental. Don't turn up your nose. This feast is intended for all the family. And you have known the better way all along and worked hard to remain in it. So come, join the festive celebration. Your seat at the family table awaits. Family dinners are important in any house, in any family. For the way in which they reinforce one's identity as part of the family. To have a seat at the table is to be part of the family, to be defined by what is shared between the members of the family. As you look around the table, you remember who your brothers are, who your sisters are, who your parents are, what your family values and your beliefs are. You remember who you are. At family dinner, even if you fought earlier in the day, you have to lay aside the arguments and disagreements for the sake of family. You gain perspective. It's even a chance to ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness as you are together. Otherwise, it's just a really awkward family meal. You pass the potatoes. You do the dishes. You clean up for one another. You serve one another. You listen to each other's stories with compassion and empathy and intent. A family dinner is, as the Bible tells it, a love feast. And a foretaste of heaven. Guess what? Same thing with communion. It's our family dinner. Where we at table join ourselves again to God's family. We find nourishment, encouragement. We find our identity affirmed and substantiated. Yes, Christ sits at the head of the table. He's looking at you and he smiles He's so glad that you are here. He'd been saving that seat just for you. You belong here. You're part of this family. And you are loved. Do this in remembrance of me, Christ says. The word remembrance, literally, to join or have membership, member, re, again, remember, again, join yourself to the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. Literally, to join yourself to God's story and grace. 
So, that's what a sacrament is. But is it just bread? Is it just wine? Is it just water? I mean, why mix such physical things, tangible things, with spiritual? Have I mentioned the accuser yet? That nasty guy running around, making a mess of our lives? You see, our weakness to his claims and temptations are real. We are the man who cries, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief, for we forget, we doubt, we wrestle and grapple with the enormity of such radical grace. Can it be true? Really, God, you love me? I mean, you can forgive me for, you know, that and that. I mean, how many times do I get this forgiveness card? Seven? How many of you have done the math on seven times 77? Christ rolls his eyes and says, yes, you are loved. And he considers what he can do to get his message across to this hard-headed, stubborn people. Ah, ah, you are physical creatures. And thus he comes up with an ingenious plan. Hearing the words, I love you and I forgive you, is all well, good, and necessary, but if it is the only way to tie together, perhaps there is something that can be done with the physical reality of the world and the supernatural words, I love you. What if Jesus were to glue those words to a physical element to carry the message across? Yes, Words together with a physical reality that continues to get the message of your identity across. Do it! Do it now, he says. In fact, I command you to do it. And so we do it. Like I said before. The significance of the sacrament sank into me one day in the most unlikely of places, which is often how God works. That sacred and special moment happened on vacation in a Dollar Tree. Yeah, no, like, no, really, that's what happened. I told you, God works in unexpected and and surprising ways. I was an uppity, aspiring theologian back from college, and I was pestering my wise and learned father about the sacraments, prying for a chink in his theological armor, trying to prove myself, strutting like a peacock. Honestly, I was probably just trying to get a rise out of him because I was bored. But eventually, the tide of my pestering was stilled as my father, red-faced and ornery by then, stopped, turned on a dime, and embraced me. And he said, I love you. Don't forget it. You can't make that up, especially since you know him. (laughs) I was so taken aback by this expression of love and grace in the midst of the fact that I'm poking the bear, I honestly melted. He held me in a dollar tree. He loved me, this uppity, annoying me. I felt his warmth. I felt the tightness of of his embrace. I felt security and confidence. I knew who he was. I knew who I was. And I knew what our relationship was. Then he took a step back, and with his hands on my shoulders, he said, 
That is a sacrament. And then he ambled off to go find some Cheetos in the aisle next door. (laughs) Also true. (laughs) And you know what? He's right. That's a sacrament. It was a physical experience tied with his words that established and named me. I am his beloved son. I'm a father now, and I know that it is one thing to look at your child who at two years old is convinced of their own superior intelligence. I tell her, I love you. You belong to me. She smiles and says, I love you too. Let's go watch Paw Patrol. (laughs) However, if I get down on my knees to her level, if I draw her into a deep, lasting embrace that she cannot avoid or run away from, if I slow down her life so she can feel my warmth, my heartbeat, I give her something she can hold on to, She can physically experience my love as words and my embrace are brought together. That gets her attention, and she knows who she is, whose she is. She knows our relationship. So go hug your kids more often. For this is the way it is with our sacraments. These. These are God's hug for you. Physical interactions in which he mysteriously is present and says, I love you. You're mine. This is not mere bread and mere wine. This is not mere water. This is God drawing close to you in an embrace and whispering to you over and over again each and every Sunday, I love you. Each and every time you gather with God's people and celebrate a sacrament, God says, I love you. It is a supernatural, mystical union where the divinity of God collides with the natural world to bring this singular, important message across that he's been trying to get across from the beginning, which is made known and made real in the person of Jesus Christ. It is that which you can keep coming back to, returning to. Claiming over and over and over again, finding rest and comfort, blessed assurance, as the song goes. It is the radical assertion of God's grace for you in a carnal world. All that is left is to believe the words, I baptize you and given and broken for you, shed for you. Yes, this love, this hug, this identity, the reality that you are a child of God, the claim that he has on your life, it is for you. These gifts 
these sacraments. They are precious rituals that anchor us in faith. Should the songs go silent, should the prayers cease, should the preacher's tongue be stilled, but we have the sacraments, we should remain secure in our Christian identity. For in these rituals, we join ourselves again to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and proclaim him until he comes again. Christianity begins with Christ. And only by understanding Christ and his love for us can we rightly understand the sacraments. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, loving Christ, in your compassion, in your grace and in your mercy, you see the struggles that we face and how readily we forget your claim on our lives. And so you gave us these gifts, baptism, something that has claimed us and grafted us into your family, the adoption by which we become part of your people, communion, a place where your people gather together at the family table to know you, to join again, to remember your love for us and our identity in you. Thank you for commanding us to do these things that we might remain in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.